hope that after the teaching that we had this morning that you'll never hear somebody talk about worthy as the lamb or refer to Jesus as the lamb without remembering the price that was paid and how he bore everything for us. You know, Jesus, after he was resurrected, still bears the marks of crucifixion. That's amazing that God would still bear a body after he's resurrected and then have a body with scars in it. But that's how much he loves us, man. He's never gotten over it. He never forgets the price that was paid. Throughout eternity, Jesus is going to bear the scars of crucifixion, nail prints. Isn't that something? Just because he loves us. That is awesome. Let's turn over to Jeremiah chapter nine. I've been teaching out of uh, Exodus chapter 33, verse 13. I'm just going to refer to this right now, but Moses said, show me thy way that I might know thee and find grace in thy sight. And that's what we've been talking about is about how important it is to know God and the way you know him is by his actions. You have to understand his actions, his way. The word way means manner of life or course of action. And so I've been just sharing some of the major things that God has shown me about his nature, how he acts. And it has transformed my relationship with him. I talked against this extreme sovereignty of God teaching that God controls everything. Nothing happens, but what he allows it, he either directly causes it or allows it. That is not true. That is imputing unto God, all of the evil and all of the ungodliness that is done in this world and saying, basically he has a hand in it. He could stop it if he wants to. And that's not true. And then we talked about how that God doesn't force himself upon you, even though he doesn't control everything. He wants to control your life. He's smarter than you are and you need to let him control your life, but it's voluntary. We talked about that and we, uh, what was the third thing I talked about last night? Anybody remember? (laughs) The nature of God, that God is a God of love. And yet it looks like that he was angry and hurt people. And people say, how does this balance? And I tried to explain that from Genesis to maps last night. I went through the entire Bible and showed that God is love, but he had to restrain sin. And so there was a period of time he was very harsh on sin and imputed people's sins unto them. And I explained that. And there's a difference between the way he dealt with people in the old covenant and the way he dealt with people in the new covenant. And then this morning we amplified on that more by talking about how that sin was worse than most people have ever recognized sin was. And sin had to be judged, but sin has been judged and Jesus bore all of the wrath and all of the punishment of God and suffered for us. And because of this, God is not angry anymore. The war is over. God is not ticked off at you. He's not even in a bad mood. He paid for all of your sin, past, present, and even the ones you haven't done yet. And now God looks at us in the spirit. And when you get born again, you become a brand new person in Christ Jesus and you are now different. So those are the things that we've talked about. And I just want to continue along those lines. I want to use this verse in Jeremiah chapter nine in verse 23. We've been talking about knowing the way or the ways of God. In verse 23, it says, thus saith the Lord, let not the wise man glory in his wisdom. Neither let the mighty man glory in his might. 
Let not the rich man glory in his riches, but let him that glorieth glory in this, that he understandeth and knoweth me, that I am the Lord, which exercise loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, saith the Lord. Man, that's a powerful passage of scripture. You know, we're supposed to find all of our delight and all of the good that we do in, in knowing God and in what he does in our life, not taking credit in our own self. And again, this is counterculture to us today. Our culture has become so ungodly. It is so far removed from God that we have people glorying in themselves, promoting themselves and bragging on themselves. And we glorify people that have the morals of an alley cat. And these are the ones that are our leaders today and things like this. I tell you, we've come a far cry from this, but we are supposed to glory in the Lord. And it notice that it says that he, he exercises loving kindness and judgment and righteousness in the earth. Man, those are the things that God loves. God loves people that honor him, not the people that dishonor him. That's what he loves. That's what he promotes. You know, there's so much that I'd like to say. I've, I've thought about talking about that God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. That is another way of God. God is a humble God. Most people don't think of this. Again, this is counterintuitive. You would think that God, if you ever see God portrayed, or if you see all of these things today where people make themselves a God and all of these things, they're always dominant and demand people's obedience and submission and they exert themselves. God isn't like that. Jesus came humbly. He could have come in a way that every person on the face of the earth would have known that he arrived on the earth and yet he was born to poor people in a manger, announced to shepherds, not to the kings. He didn't go announce it to Caesar. God doesn't honor all of the people that we honor. He announced it to shepherds and people like this. When Jesus rose from the dead, I would not have appeared to Mary Magdalene first a woman who had been demon possessed and that nobody knew who she was. I'd have appeared to Pilate. I'd have woke him up. I'd have shaken his bed. I'd have said, Pilate, are your hands clean now? And see how he presented himself. I'd have gone to those people that blindfolded him and then spit in his face and mocked him and slapped him and said, prophesy if you're the Christ. I'd have appeared to them after I rose from the dead. And I'd have said, let me tell you something, amen. The whole, everybody in Jerusalem, hundreds of thousands of people saw Jesus crucified. All he had to do was just hover over the city and let everybody see him floating over the city. And he could have had everybody on their face. But you know what? God is, he, Jesus said of himself, I am meek and lowly in heart. God doesn't force himself on you. And again, this is one of the ways of the Lord. And I'm nearly preaching on that, but I decided not to minister on that tonight. <laughs> And he resists people that are proud. God does not operate through pride. And it is our own self-confidence and arrogance that stops God from using us. He is not going to do something that you get all of the credit. God delights in taking foolish things of the world, base things of the world, things that are despised and things that are not to bring to not things that are so that, that they don't get the credit that God does. I had a guy come to me one time and he says, how come you got to be a hick from Texas before God will use you? 
And I told him, it says, because us hips from Texas know that it's got to be God and we yield to him and give him the credit. Anyway, I'd love to preach on that. There's so many things I'd like to talk about, but here's what I want to talk about tonight. And I'm going to condense a number of different things. I'm going to condense a teaching on the authority of the believer, put that together with you've already got it and all of these kind of things and show you that one of the things about God, one of the ways of God that you've got to understand is that the Lord accomplished everything that he did through Jesus. And really, I don't even, this is probably not smart on my part to try and condense this into an hour's time. This is impossible, but hopefully it'll uh, whet your appetite and you'll go study this out on your own. But when God created man, he gave authority over this earth to mankind. And in doing so, if you'd go back to what I said this morning, that God cannot lie. Psalms, 30, uh, Psalms 89, 34, when he speaks something, it becomes a covenant and his covenant will he not break nor alter the thing that has gone forth out of his lips. When he told Adam and Eve, you have dominion, you rule, you subdue. God, by doing that, withdrew himself from controlling what goes on on this earth. Now, this is major that you get this because again, people just default and say, well, why did God let this happen? God's not the one that controls these things. God gave us control over this earth and we turned around and we gave Satan control by obeying him. In a sense, we are the ones that created Satan. God created Lucifer, a godly angelic being. He didn't have any power to go against God. All of his power was delegated, but the power, the authority that God gave mankind was unconditional. And so Satan came and tempted us. And when we yielded ourselves to Satan, Romans 6, 16 says, know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey his servants. Ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. When we yielded to Satan, we yielded the power, the authority that God gave us to dominate this earth to the devil. And we're the ones that empowered the devil. Satan doesn't have some superior uh, power to mankind. He has the power that God gave us. And this is why Satan has to have your cooperation to get anything done. Because God gave this authority to physical human beings. Satan is a spirit and Satan doesn't have a physical body. He has to have a physical body. This is why the demons in the uh, demon possessed man wanted to enter into the swine because a pig has more authority than the devil does. A, A slime has more authority than the devil. A slug has more authority than the devil. Fungus has more authority than the devil. Anything with a physical body, something with a physical makeup has more authority in this earth than the devil. Now, Satan is evil and he's going about seeking whom he may devour. First Peter chapter five, I forget verse nine or something says that, but notice it says he seeks whom he may devour. He cannot devour you without your consent and cooperation. He's a force 
I don't think that Satan is just some kind of invisible force or some concept of evil. There is a demonic power that was called Lucifer that is now called Satan and it is an angelic being, but his power and authority all comes from us. We're the ones that empowered him and he has to have your consent and cooperation to get anything done. He cannot force you to do anything. To cooperate with him doesn't mean that you sit there and say, all right, Satan, I turn myself over to you and I worship you and I want you to have dominion. But if he comes at you and if you have a pain and all of a sudden fear comes up, well, then that fear is cooperating with him. That he will attach himself to that fear and he will use that fear. Or here's a scripture that makes it very clear in James chapter three, verse 16, it says where envying and strife is, there is confusion First Corinthians 14 says confusion is from the devil. So you could say where envy and strife is, there is the devil and every evil work. When you get into strife, when you are harboring unforgiveness and bitterness in your heart, you open up your life to anything the devil wants to do. So you don't have to sit there and say, dear devil, please destroy my life. Just get into strife. Just have unforgiveness. Get into envy and jealousy and lusting and coveting after things and you open yourself up to the devil. It's not God that's punishing you for doing these things. It's you that opens yourself up to the devil. And so demonic powers are disembodied spirits and they have to have a body to work through. They can't just function without somebody's cooperation. Likewise, uh, John 4, 24 says, God is a spirit. God, because of his integrity, because he won't alter the thing that has gone forth out of his lips, he will not move in the earth contrary to a physical human body. He gave us authority. And so we have to yield to him and act and speak in agreement with him to give him freedom in our life. He will not take control of you and force you to do things. You have to yield to him. You know, when we have people come forward, I say this about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. People are just waiting on God to take their mouth and make it move and just force them to speak in tongues. Kind of like when you throw up, you just can't stop it. Just, it comes out. That's not how speaking in tongues is. It says in Acts 2, 4, that they spoke with tongues as the spirit gave them the utterance. God inspires it, but you have to speak. God does not force you to speak in tongues. He doesn't force you to live holy. He doesn't force you to have joy. You have authority and God respects this. God has bound himself by his words. And he said, you have authority. You have dominion. You have power. And we have to take that. Another scripture goes along with this is James chapter four, verse seven, where it says, submit yourselves therefore unto God, resist the devil and he will flee from you. He will flee from you. You have to resist the devil. And yet how many Christians are saying, oh God, please get the devil off my life. Never happened. God's already beat the devil. And the only reason Satan is dominating your life is because you don't know the truth and you're intimidated by him and that fear and all of these things, he's attached himself to those and that's how he's doing things. And if you were to resist him, the word resist means to actively fight against, Satan cannot do anything to you without your consent and cooperation. You can overcome him if you resist him. The word resist doesn't mean 
dear devil, please get out of my life. You've got a temper. God gave every person in here a temper. The problem is some people say, oh, no, God didn't give me my temper. Oh yeah, every person has the ability to get angry. And the Lord commanded us to hate that which is evil, abhor that which is evil, cleave to that which is good. Romans chapter 12, I believe it's verse 11. We're commanded to hate evil. God gave us this capacity. And the sad thing is we hate people. We hate this. We get mad at people. God gave you a temper so you could get mad at the devil. You need to hate sickness. You need to hate poverty. You need to hate strife. You need to hate stuff like this. You know, it amuses me. People that don't hate evil, that they call good, evil, and evil good, which is a prophecy. Isaiah chapter five, I believe verse 20, that in the latter days, people would call evil good and good evil. And we're seeing that. People are now saying that something's wrong with you if you don't like homosexuality. Something's wrong with you if you do like it. Amen. I'm not, I don't hate homosexuals. I'm not homophobic, but it's wrong and it destroys people's lives. Did I say this on Thursday night about smoking? Did I use that example? Did you know on a, on a pack of cigarettes, they put a warning on there. Smoking is hazardous to your health. And you know why? Because the average smoker, uh, it cuts about seven years off of your life. Did you know that statistics on the gay and lesbian website, their own statistics that homosexuality and lesbianism cuts 20 years off of the average homosexual's life. Homosexuals have 350 times as much spousal abuse as heterosexual couples. And on and on and on you can go. We put a warning on cigarettes because it cuts seven years off of your life. And yet something that cuts 20 years off of your life, we have to promote that and say you're homophobic if you don't like it. Homosexuality, I love homosexual. I've got some people I know that are homosexuals and I don't treat them differently than anybody else, but I'll tell them the truth that this is a destructive lifestyle. It's hurting you. It's wrong. Amen. You're supposed to hate homosexuality, not homosexuals, but homosexuality. You're supposed to hate sin. And it amazes me. People who will not hate evil, you've got this capacity for hate. They're going to hate something. You know what they hate? People that eat fatty foods. People that would hurt somebody. Like there was a story this week about a little girl that saved a woodpecker from a cat and saved its life because this cat was going to eat it. And so she had this woodpecker in her possession and they went into a Lowe's store, I believe it was, and they were going to call and turn this woodpecker in and hope that somebody could, uh, you know, rehabilitate it and get it well. But they decided not to leave it in the car because it was hot. So they took it into the Lowe's store and a forestry service person saw them and it was an endangered species. You aren't supposed to have it. And they fined them $350 and threatened them with throwing them into prison. They hate that. You know, if you don't hate people killing their own babies, then you're going to be upset over this little animal. You're going to hate something. And if you don't hate evil, then you're going to start hating people that eat fatty foods or that don't hug a tree or that does something else. And 
You got a capacity for hatred. You need to use it against the devil and against evil instead of against some of this other stuff. Amen. Praise God. I know I didn't bless some of you, but it's my meeting. What can I say? So anyway, you have to hate these things. And when you take your authority, you resist the devil. He flees from you. And yet there's a lot of people that just passively resist things. I have people come to me. I've had people come during this. I had a couple of people tell me about 10 or 15 things in their body. They just named it and they were so pitiful. It was was like, I'm just so bad. Would you please do something for me? And I asked them, I said, why do you let that happen? And they just looked at me like, what do you mean? Let it happen. I don't have anything to do with this. You do have something to do with it. Satan can't make you sick and just come into your life without your consent and cooperation. Did you know if you've got arthritis, it didn't jump on you all at once. You didn't just wake up and instantly you were all stoved up and your hands were crooked and your joints were swollen. It came on you joint by joint, one little joint. You let that one come and then he'll take another one and it comes on you little by little and you don't resist it and you don't fight. And before you know it, you're in bad shape. I know some of you think, oh, yeah, I can't believe you think that way. Some of you think I'm weird. I think you're weird. <laughs> I'm the one that's been walking in supernatural health for 40 years and don't get sick and don't take pills and stuff. I'm telling you that you have the ability to resist the devil and he will flee from you. And we are too passive and we act like, oh God, would you please rebuke the devil for me? God, would you please heal me of this? No, God's done his part. He gave us authority and power. And now I want to take all of these things that I've said. This is why Jesus had to become a man because no man could ever get from out from under the dominion that we gave the devil. And God was a spirit. God would have been unjust to just intervene and solve things. He had to become a man. And when he entered into a physical body and became a man, now Satan was in a world of hurt. Because he had basically been using the words that God put out of his mouth that said, you have dominion, you have authority over this earth. And he had been using man's cooperation to be able to escape God's judgment. But now God became a man. He wasn't just a spirit anymore. And Jesus took it to the devil and Jesus totally destroyed the devil. And as he rose from the dead, he said, all authority in heaven and in earth. God always had authority in heaven, but he gave authority over the earth to mankind. But Jesus said, Matthew 28, all authority in heaven and in earth is given unto me. And then he said, go ye therefore. And he took all of this power and authority in heaven and earth and shared it with us and gave it to us. And now we can go and we can cast out all demons. No power, no authority can stand against us. But the difference is he gave power to Adam and Eve, but the difference was he gave it to them alone. He didn't share it. He didn't have a physical body, but when Jesus gave it, we are now joint heirs with him. That means that if you were to write a check, you know, sometimes this has changed, but typically our 
technically a joint heirship or a joint checking account means it requires the signature of both parties. You can't just one person sign it. It takes both parties to sign it. When God gave authority to us as believers, it's safeguarded this time because it takes two signatures to make anything work. And Jesus will never sign this authority over to the devil again. You may yield to the devil through your strife or through your fear or through your negativism or something, but God will never yield. And so Satan will never again take away this authority and power that Jesus bought. But the, but the negative side of that is that even though Jesus is ready and he's already overcome the devil, you have to put your name on there. You have to stand and hate that which is evil and you have to take your authority And like it says in Mark chapter 11, verse 23, you have to speak to your mountain and command the mountain to be removed and be cast into the sea. You can't ask God to do it. You can't talk to God about your mountain. You've got to talk to your mountain about God. You got to say to your problem, cancer in the name of Jesus, you are dead in my life. Sickness, you are out of my life. Arthritis, I command you to leave. And yet the average Christian doesn't understand the ways of God. And they think it's up to God whether or not they get healed. God's already done his part. God has already commanded and demanded healing for every single person. He's purchased it. And this raising from the dead power is now placed on the inside of every one of us. Ephesians 1, 18 and 19 says that, that we have the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. It's inside of you. It's not out there in heaven. You know what I'm saying? I'm going as fast as I can go. But I could stop and preach for an hour on a lot of things. This would stop a lot of foolishness in the body of Christ if people understood the ways of the Lord. For one thing, we have these intercessors that are trying to clear the heavens over Chicago so that our prayers can get up to God. We've got demon powers blocking the heavens and they're keeping our prayers. And so we've got to get people together and pray and intercede and tear down these principalities and powers so that our prayers can get through to God. Don't look at me in that tone of voice. If you've been a Christian very long, you've heard this. There are spiritual warfare conferences where they're trying to tear down the thing. And they go back to uh, Daniel chapter nine and chapter 10, where the demonic powers hindered Daniel's prayers for 21 days. And that's true that that happened. But what they are missing is that Jesus hadn't come yet. Old Testament people didn't have authority over the devil, but Jesus destroyed the devil. And we do not have to wrestle with all of these things. We are fighting demonic powers, but you know where they are? Right between your ears. It's in the thoughts and in the things. You don't have to clear a path through the heavens to get to God. People will say things like that prayer didn't get above the ceiling. You don't need your prayer to get above your nose. God lives here on the inside of you. Amen. This is why you bow your head when you pray. So you can look at God and say, Father, amen. (laughs) This whole concept that we got to get our prayers past the devil. You don't understand the ways of God. You don't understand that Jesus became a man and Jesus defeated the devil and Satan is a defeated foe. You know, the very terminology, spiritual warfare, you know what the word warfare means? If you look it up in a dictionary. It's a conflict between two opposing foes. 
but you can't have warfare with a defeated foe. If they're defeated, how could it be war? If your enemy's in chains and it already been beat, how can you call that war? By talking about spiritual warfare, what you are doing is empowering the devil and assigning to him attributes and power and authority that he doesn't have. Satan has been stripped and the only power Satan has is deception. And if you don't know the truth and he comes against you, you get intimidated and you empower him by your fear, by your negative statements and these kind of things. That's where Satan is gaining his power. And we don't need all this spiritual warfare stuff. It'd be stopped if people understood the ways of God that I'm talking about, that Jesus already came. He's already provided this and he gave you this power. It is unlimited. You have raising from the dead power. Another way of looking at this is that people will sit there and they ask God to heal them. When the Bible clearly says, 1 Peter 2, 24, who his own self bear our sins and his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness by whose stripes you were healed. Were healed. That means it's already been done. You're already healed. And yet how many people say, oh God, I'm asking you to heal me. If God's already healed you, why do you ask him to heal you? Good question. (laughs) If you've already got it, why are you asking God to give it? Doesn't that make sense? You know, if I gave you my Bible and if you had my Bible in your lap and then you came up to me and said, Andrew, would you please give me your Bible? How do you respond to somebody who's asking you to give you something that you've already got? I'd probably just look at you like I must have misunderstood this or I I don't know how I'd react. I'd probably just be silent, similar to the way that God responds when you pray. (laughs) I'm sure that if the Lord could be confused, he'd be confused. He would be saying, didn't I write that in there? I know it's somewhere in there that... By my stripes, they were healed. If they were, why are they asking me to do what they've already done? Brothers and sisters, we aren't believe, And you know why we don't believe it? I wish I had time to go into this. I'll just mention it briefly. But this teaching on spirit, soul, and body. I've got another teaching on uh, faith. What is that one on faith called? No, I've got one on faith, like uh, insights into faith. Is that it? Or no, that's a little booklet. No, I've got a great teaching of a guy climbing a mountain. It's about faith. What is it? No. Anyway, it's a great series. Go buy them all. It's all out there someplace. (laughs) Ashley's trying to give me sign languages here. Faith builders, that's it. But I've got this teaching in there. And one of the reasons people struggle with this, and they say, well, I know that the Bible says that I'm healed, but the doctor says I'm sick. I've got proof. Here is a medical exam. I've got pain in my body. I've got a tumor that I can see. I know the Bible says I'm healed, but I'm not, obviously. So I have to ask God to heal me. That's not true. The way that you harmonize these is to understand 
that God is a spirit. There is a spiritual world. There is a spiritual you that exists that most of us functionally don't know. We might sit there and say, oh yeah, I believe that there's a spirit realm, but functionally you only go by what you can see, taste, hear, smell, and feel. And if you can't see, taste, hear, smell, or feel it, to most of us, it's not real. And so the Bible says that you've been healed and you feel and you say, no, I got pain. I wasn't healed. But you are healed. You've got the same power that raised Christ from the dead in your spirit. And you can have raising from the dead power on the inside of you. And you'd be absolutely, totally healed. And yet your body be sick if you don't know how to release it and to appropriate what you've already got. But man, what a huge change in your attitude. If you begin to understand that I am not trying to get God to heal me. I'm not trying to get past the demons and my prayers up to God. I'm not imploring God to come stretch forth his mighty hand and touch me by his stripes. I was healed 2000 years ago. And that raising from the dead power is on the inside of me. I've already got it. And so I don't deny that the physical world exists. I'm just denying that that's all there is to it. All a doctor can do is search your body. They can't search your spirit. They don't know what you have on the inside of you. They can't tell you that you got raising from the dead power on the inside of you. They'll never tell you that one fraction of an inch from this cancer, you've got the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. They can't tell you that. All they're going to do is tell you the physical thing and all they're going to do is look at that. But the truth is that you have been healed and you have that healing power on the inside of you. And if you get to where your mind is more focused on what God's word says, and if you believe that it is a reality, that it isn't just a statement, it's not a on paper only that by his stripes you were healed, but it's reality. And if you get to where you believe that you're three parts Spirit, soul, and body. In your spirit, you've got this supernatural raising from the dead. If your mind gets in agreement with your spirit, then that's two against one, and your physical body will see this resurrection power operate. But if your mind is over here more, but the doctor says, and I've got this pain, and I hurt, and oh God, would you please heal me? The moment you start asking for that, you violated the scripture and the truths about what God has done. And you're asking God to do something that he's already done, which means that you're in unbelief. And so your mind's over here, but I I know I'm not healed because I still got pain and I've got a doctor's report to prove that I'm not healed. Your mind is over here in your body and that cuts off the flow of the life that's in your spirit. I tell you, these are the ways of God to understand that everything he did, he did through Jesus. Man, I could just minister on this forever. You know, when it comes to love and joy and peace, people say, oh God, I just don't have any joy. Would you please pour out your joy in my life? The Bible says, Galatians 5, that the fruit of the spirit, this is that unseen realm that you can't feel You can't feel the spirit. You can't see the spirit. The only way to access the spirit is John 6, 63 says the words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. You just have to go by what God's word says. And that's spirit and life. You can't feel the spirit. Well, you use that terminology all the time, but technically you can't feel the spirit. It's intangible. Jesus said that which is spirit is spirit. That which is flesh is flesh out of John chapter three around verse six or seven. Spirit is spirit. Flesh is flesh. They, you can't contact 
the spirit realm in some physical, emotional, feeling way. You have to go by the word of God. It's a perfect representation. And the word of God says in Galatians 5, 22, the fruit of the spirit, this born again spirit on the inside of you is love, joy, peace, long suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. That's in your spirit 24 hours a day, 100%. Your spirit doesn't have any depression. It doesn't have any discouragement. It doesn't have any fear. It has perfect love. There is no jealousy. There is no unforgiveness in your spirit. So if you're sitting there saying, well, I'm just bitter and angry, you've solved the problem. Some of you are thinking, how does that solve the problem? Because your spirit's not that way. That shows that you aren't walking in the spirit. You aren't seeing who you are in Christ. You aren't operating out of what God has done. You are in your flesh. You are living as a mere human being. And most people, this is the way they live their life because you can't see the spirit. You can't feel it. You know, if I was to ask you, how, how are you right now? Are you hot or cold in here? Nobody, somebody says cold. (laughs) You don't have to sit there and say, well, let me pray about it and let me study and I'll come back and tell you tomorrow. You know why you instantly are in touch with your body, how you feel. If I was to ask you about your soulish realm, so are you encouraged or discouraged? You don't have to say, well, let me pray about it. I'll come back tomorrow and tell you how I am. You instantly, you're in touch with your feelings, your emotions and your physical body but you are not in touch with your spirit by just these five senses. The only way you can get in touch with the spirit is to find out what God's word says about you. And you just have to go by what this says. And in the spirit realm, I'm telling you that you have all of these things. You have love and joy and peace. And so when you say, but I'm depressed, You've solved the problem because you aren't in the spirit. The spirit is never depressed. Your spirit is never fearful. It's never bored. It's never discouraged. Your spirit is basking in the presence of God. Your spirit is jumping up and down right now because I'm speaking truth and your spirit recognizes the truth and it's just excited over this. Your spirit is always in faith. It never fluctuates. It's only your physical person that fluctuates. And so one of the ways of God is to understand that through Jesus, he's done everything. All of the joy that you will ever need, it's already in here. All of the love that you'll ever need, it's already in here. All of the peace that you'll ever need, it's already in here. You never have to ask God for love and joy and peace. He's already done it. Through Jesus, he gave you everything. When you got born again, your spirit became complete. It says that in so many places. Uh, Colossians chapter two, verses nine and 10. We are complete in him. It says in 1 John chapter four, verse 17, that as Jesus is, so am I in this world. It didn't say, so am I going to be in the next world, but so am I in this world. If all you're going to do is look in a mirror and search your physical realm, you can't see that because we've got zits and gray hairs and bulges and just ugly sometimes. And you know what? That's not like Jesus, but in the spirit, you are identical to Jesus ounce for ounce, molecule for molecule, identical to Jesus. 
you are identical. If as he is, so are we in this world. You've already got love. Your spirit, the moment you got born again, became complete, identical to Jesus. And then it became vacuum packed. Ephesians 1 13, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit. And when you sin, sin enters into your mind and into your body. And it may give Satan an ability to penetrate your emotions and penetrate your physical body with sickness and disease, but it can't get around the seal that is around your spirit. Your spirit retains its holiness and God is a spirit. uh, John 4, 24, God is a spirit and he's looking at you in the spirit. And even though you may have let sin in and Satan is afflicting you in your emotions or in your body, God is still able to fellowship with you based on who you are in the spirit. Your spirit does not change. And so if you have gotten off into the flesh and if you've been watching all of the bad news and listening to the terrible things that are going on in the world and because of that, you're depressed and discouraged, your spirit's not depressed. It's still got love, joy, and peace. And all you've got to do is turn over here and find out what you've got and begin to say, praise God, I am not going to live by what I feel in my physical body. I'm living by who I am in Christ. And in Christ, Galatians 5:22 says, I have love, joy, and peace. And you just start praising God. See, if you understood this, if you understood the ways of God, it would end you saying, oh God, please touch me and just give me more joy, more peace, more power. You've already got the fullness of God. The fullness of God. It says in John 1, 16, that uh, of his, let's see, how does that go? Can you put that up there, Laura? And of his fullness have all we received and grace for grace. Some translations say grace upon grace. We have received the fullness of God, not in your physical body, not in your mind, but in your born again spirit, you are full of God. That's what that book I was talking about is all about. You've already got it. And all you've got to do is just decide, I am not going to go by what I feel what the doctor says, what the banker says, what my husband or wife or some person who's criticized you says, this is what God says. And I've got love, joy, and peace. And you just begin to worship him. And when you get your mind in agreement with the spirit, then the power and the love and joy and peace that's in your spirit comes out through your emotions and into your physical body. Man, this is radical stuff I'm saying. It gives you an ability to act different than other people because other people are just carnal. They're going only by what they can see, taste, hear, smell, and feel. You've got a part of you that is beyond your feelings and it's identical to Jesus. And I can take this point and just apply it to everything. Over in the 17th chapter of the book of Luke, Jesus' disciples said, Lord, increase our faith. And basically the Lord told them, says, you don't need more faith. Use what you got. He told him, if you have faith, only like a grain of mustard seed, you could say to this sycamine tree, be plucked up by the roots and be cast into the sea and it would obey you. And then he gave a parable about people that have slaves. And he says, if you had a slave and they had been working during the day, would you have them come sit down and serve themselves and say, you know, I know you're tired and do all this. He says, no, you tell them to serve you. And only after they get through doing their duty, do they take care of themselves. In other words, you've got faith. You aren't using what you've got. They said, increase our faith. How many people are praying saying, oh God, just give me more faith. You've already got the faith of the Lord Jesus. That's what it says in the word in 
Romans chapter 12, verse three, the very last phrase of that third verse says that God has dealt to every man the measure of faith. If you're using that nearly inspired version, it says a measure of faith, but the accurate thing is you have the measure of faith. You don't have different measures. This whole concept of some people just have great faith. That's, that's what Jesus was telling his disciples, increase our faith. He didn't say, all right, I'll increase your faith or here's how you increase it. He just said, look, if your faith was only this big, if it was minute, if it was tiny, that's enough to do the greatest miracle you could ever imagine. You don't need more faith. You've already got it. You just need to quit being carnal and dominated by what you see, taste, hear, smell, and feel and dominate yourself by what you've got. Because when you were born again, you were given the measure of faith. You know, if we had a soup kitchen going here and if everybody was coming through and getting a bowl of soup and if I had a ladle here and if I used that, if that was the measure, then when you came through, everybody would get the same amount of soup. But if I use this big old ladle for some, and then I used a teaspoon for others, and then a tablespoon for somebody else, and then an eyedropper for somebody else, then there would be different measures and people would get different amounts. But the scripture says we were all given the measure. There's only one measure. What was that measure? Well, Paul talked about it in Galatians 2.20. He says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God. Again, that nearly inspired version says, I live by faith in the Son of God. But if you read verses 16 and 17 of the second chapter of Galatians, it'll show you. It's not talking about a faith, a partial faith in the Son of God, but we actually have him give us his faith and we live by the faith of the Son of God. Paul's measure that he was using was the faith of the Son of God. And if we all have one measure, then that means, guess what? You have the faith of the Son of God. I have the faith. You don't have a faith problem. You got an unbelief problem. We've got faith that can move mountains, but we got all of this unbelief because we aren't operating based on what the word says. We aren't following the spirit. We're going by our feelings. And the doctor says that I'm sick. And and so I don't care what the word says. This doctor is more real than the word. And that unbelief will cause you to die with the resurrection power of Jesus on the inside of you. Don't shout me down because I'm preaching good. Man, that's pretty powerful. That's awesome. It's as simple as what I'm describing. It's not easy. The hardest thing you will ever do is get to where here's facts staring you in the face and you say, I don't care what that says. This is what God's word says. And that's not easy to do. It's simple as what I'm talking about, but the hardest thing you'll ever do is get to where you guide your life by faith and not by sight. It takes a lot of time in the word of God because this is how you see into the spiritual realm, the godly spiritual realm. And this is how you understand these kind of things. But the truth is you've already got it. Peter said this same thing over in second Peter chapter one. He said, Peter, an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ unto those who have at past tense obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and of our savior, Jesus Christ. 
You didn't get this faith through your goodness and holiness. When you got born again, it was given to you through the righteousness of God. And it says you have like precious faith. In the Greek, that word like there means identical. You have identical faith with Peter. And some of you are saying, I don't have that kind of faith. Well, then tear second Peter out of your Bible and throw it away. Because it's written to people that have like precious faith. If you don't have the same like precious faith and identical faith to Peter, then just tear that out of your Bible because it was written to people that have like precious faith. You have the same faith that Peter had. His faith would walk by and his shadow would touch people and they'd be raised up. He raised Dorcas from the dead. Peter walked on the water. You got walking on the water faith. You got like precious faith. That's Peter's own words. You don't have a faith problem. We got a knowledge problem. We don't know the ways of God. We don't understand what he's done. And it's spelled out in scripture. And yet we don't know. And again, I'm preaching to the choir because you are the fanatics that are out on a Saturday night in a hotel. You probably are not the average person, but the average Christian today doesn't have a clue what the word of God says. They don't study the word. They spend more time in the light of their TV than they do in the light of God's word. And you aren't going to have, you aren't going to have this victory that I'm talking about. You aren't going to understand and know God unless you spend time renewing your mind and you aren't going to get the television's not going to renew your mind unless you're watching my program (laughs) and a few other good ministers program. But there's not a lot of stuff on television that's going to help you renew your mind. Most of it is just full of doubt and unbelief. And even if you could find a decent program that was, you know, kind of benign, not good or bad, just average, the commercials would kill you. Those commercials are full of doubt and unbelief. It's just terrible. It is perverse. We live in a wicked and a perverse generation. You know, I read the, uh, nine, Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24. I read that whole chapter this afternoon. You ought to go back and read the first few verses of Jeremiah chapter 9. And he's bewailing the way that his society was and how they had rejected God. And it makes... I mean, it's like somebody wrote this about us. You could take the newspaper today and look at all the stuff that's happening and it fits perfectly into Jeremiah chapter nine. And he was talking about a wicked generation and he said, shall not God avenge a people like this? Praise God, his wrath has already been placed on Jesus. We aren't gonna come under his punishment for that, but it's still that wicked. It's not good, it's not healthy. And if you're plugged into this society, you are going to be corrupt. That's just the way that it is. You are going to be full of unbelief. We live in a society that is baptized in unbelief. And even the stuff that's not overtly against God is very carnal. The word carnal, some people get confused about this and they think that's just describing sinful and terrible and bad. The word carnal If you look it up in the Strong's Concordance, it means the flesh, sarx, S-A-R-X, the flesh as stripped of skin is what the literal definition of carnal is. And it's just describing not your physical skin, your epidermis, but just meat 
Matter of fact, when you say chili con carne, did you know that the word carne comes from the same Greek word as carnal? It means meat. It's just talking about flesh. It's just natural. You're going only by your five senses. You have no spiritual perception. You can't recognize that anything exists beyond just your five senses. That's carnal. When you call somebody carnally minded, you're calling them a meathead. (laughs) You're saying you're just a meathead. You're carnal. You're only going by your senses. So even if you can find stuff in our society that isn't immoral, it's not countering Judeo-Christian ethics at the very best, it's going to be carnal. It's going to be feeding your senses. It's only going by what you can see, taste, hear, smell, and feel. You know, I read a book just recently about the civil war. We were up there and visited all of these places. And I read a book about Robert E. Lee and, um, it described all of these battles of Gettysburg and all of these places where we went. And, uh, Jamie and I are history buffs and like reading that. And I read it and it was really interesting, but I was so frustrated because I'm used to reading the Bible and in the Bible, it'll tell you that when they went out to war, that God was doing this and God made their, you know, they heard a sound and they all fled and God, and it tells you what's going on in the spiritual realm and it gives you a complete picture. But when I was reading this history book, it was only telling you that, you know, the Confederates at one time had the Union forces and they could have won the war in 1860, uh, what was it, 62. They could have defeated and they could have won the war and out of no explanation, Stonewall Jackson's group didn't advance and this didn't happen and a message got garbled. It was delivered completely contra and all of a sudden it just didn't work. And I just kept thinking, God, what was going on behind the scenes? Did you, are you the one that changed this message? What did you do to make this person not do that? And I just feel like, you know, it it is so frustrating to read something that is only historical and doesn't give you the spiritual background. And this is what most people, most people live there. They don't know what's going on in the spiritual realm. They just have the doctor say, you got this and this is what happened and this is what caused it. And they don't understand that there's a demonic spirit that caused all of this stuff to happen. I couldn't tell you how many people I prayed with this week that under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, I told them this is not just physical. It's not organic. This is demonic. And a couple of them told me, you know, God spoke that to me. Matter of fact, one woman here tonight said, you know, the I had a voice come out of me not long ago saying, I won't leave. And it was a physical problem, but it has a spiritual root. And it's amazing how people just don't acknowledge the spiritual realm. And we're trying to find an organic cure for everything. One of the reasons some of you have been to 15 doctors and nobody can put a name on it is because it's not physical. And I know some of you think, this is weird. I'm saying this in love, but you know, the reason you feel that way, because you're carnal. You just operate by the flesh. You don't have a clue that there's anything spiritual. There are demons in this room. There are angels in this room. There's all kinds of things going on in this room that you can't see, that you can't perceive with your little peanut brain. But the word of God tells us these things. And so what you do, you get into the word and you find out that God has already done it. It's already done through Jesus. You're already healed. You've already got faith. You've already got love, joy, and peace. You've already got power and authority. 
God's already done his part. And instead of you approaching God as a beggar and saying, oh God, I'm just so powerless. Would you please stretch forth your hand and touch me? You've already defeated yourself the moment you do that. You're embracing your humanity only and denying the fact that you have been born again. What you need to do is come and say, Father, I've got all these problems in the natural. I'm not denying that they exist, but I know that in the spirit realm, I am a new creature as Jesus is. So am I. I've got your fullness. I've got the faith of God. I've got the power and authority over the devil. Greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. And you start building yourself up and speaking your faith. And then instead of begging God to do something, thinking that father, you've already done it by your stripes. I was healed. And now I resist this sickness. I resist this thing. Proverbs 18, 21, death and life are in the power of the tongue. And so I use the power of my tongue and I speak death to you, cancer. I command you to die. I command every cancer cell under the sound of my voice to die in the name of Jesus. I command tumors to be gone. I speak life over me in the name of Jesus. And if you could believe that and mix it with faith and not just parrot it because you heard me say it, but if you could believe it, you will have what you say. If you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart and doubt not that the words that you say will come to pass, you will have whatsoever you say. Mark eleven twenty three. God's already done it. And yet the body of Christ basically is trying to get God to do something. If you ever pay attention to prophecies, the average prophecy that comes is God is going to do a new thing. There is coming a move of God. Something is always going to happen. But the truth is we aren't headed for a victory. We are coming from a victory. It's already been done. Jesus said, it's finished. Jesus defeated the devil, defeated sickness, defeated disease. It's over. Jesus is seated at the father's right hand. He's not standing there working and answering everybody's prayers and doing these things. He's before you had a problem. He already created the supply before you had the need. He's anticipated everything. If you're depressed and discouraged, you've already got joy in your heart. You got to focus on what God has done instead of what's happening in the world. It's already done. You don't need God to heal you. God has already healed you. You need somebody to believe that he's been healed and stand up and take your authority and speak it. Now, all of that being said, God is a good God and he knows where we are. And there was a man that said, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. God will meet you where you are. You know, I'm looking at Ashley and Carly and they, their daughter was dying just days away from death. And they just got hold of my teaching. They had only been, I mean, 24 hours a day, nearly for two weeks, they had been listening to teaching and they were believing God, but they just needed some help. And so they came to my meeting and I prayed and I was a part of that process So I'm not saying that, you know, it's wrong for you to come and ask for somebody to pray for you, but I can guarantee you, Ashley and Carly, after I prayed, Hannah went out and ate for the first time in her life. Three and a half years old, had never eaten solid food. It had to be pureed and formula and stuff injected into her stomach. She ate 
what was it? Uh, chicken, Kentucky fried chicken. <laughs> and she had sweets and malts and French fries and fizzy drinks and you name it. She had never eaten in her life, three and a half years old and started eating that. Carly said that a well person would be sick if you'd gone that long without eating. And did you know within an hour or two, Hannah started to throw up and have the normal reactions. They wanted me to pray. They needed me to pray, but they had the word in them. And when that started, Ashley said, stop. He spoke to it and took his authority and she stopped. And one more time in the last, in the next 24 hours, she started to have the similar reaction and he took his authority and spoke. And now it's been five years and she's totally over it and healthy and growing and all of these things. Praise the Lord. So their faith may not have been in just two weeks period of time. That's pretty quick growth. But you know what? They may have needed somebody to provide a little spark. God understands where you are. I'm not condemning you, but I am saying that technically God has already done it and you aren't having to have God do something. You don't need somebody with a special anointing on them to pray for you. You just need to renew your mind and learn the ways of God and find out that God has already given you this power and then go to resisting the devil. Take your authority. Recognize God has already done it. I tell you, that is so comforting to me. I faced some big things in my life. I faced some things that I guarantee and just my natural self would have overwhelmed me. And yet this knowledge of the ways of God has kept me steady. When something happens, I I just start by saying, Father, thank you that this doesn't surprise you. This isn't new. It's not like, oh no, he's saying, how can I handle this one? God has already seen every problem that'll ever come against me. He's already dealt with it. He's already placed on the inside of me more than enough power to deal with whatever problem comes. And there's things that in the natural, if I didn't believe that, I would have just thought this is too great. I quit. I can't handle it. But the scripture reveals that he won't allow you to be tempted above what you're able. First Corinthians 10, 13, but will with the temptation make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. Nobody in here has had more come at you than what God has equipped you to deal with. And just knowing that gives you a strength and a confidence that if I'll resist this, I am going to overcome it. I can do it. The natural realm, the doctors will tell you, no, it's incurable. You're going to die. And you're going to have to get to where you aren't carnal going by things that you can hear physical people saying. You're going to have to get to where what God's word is more real to you than what the physical circumstances say, than what the doctor says, than what the banker says, than what the politician says. You're going to have to get to where you just believe this and understand that God's already done it. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. No weapon formed against you will prosper. Isaiah 54, 17 And every tongue that rises against you in judgment, you shall condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord and their righteousness is of me, thus saith the Lord. Notice it says that every tongue, right after it talks about no weapon, then it says every tongue that rises against you in judgment, you shall condemn. That's the way that Satan releases his weapons is through words. Words are powerful. They have death and life. And Satan is speaking doubt and unbelief. Anything contrary to God's word is doubt and unbelief. 
And Satan comes at you with words and it says you have to condemn these words. You have to judge them. When you hear something contrary to God's word, condemn it with your mouth. Say no in the name of Jesus. You know, I've learned that if somebody says something to me that is negative and critical or whatever, and it contradicts what I'm believing, I've learned that if I just try and be polite and I don't want to offend somebody, so I just don't say anything and I go home, those words start taking root immediately and they start having an effect on me. And I may have to spend 10 minutes or 50 minutes or two hours praying in tongues or studying the word and renewing my mind. But if the moment somebody speaks doubt and unbelief over me, I'll just counter it and say, no, I condemn that. I do not agree with it. It never penetrates. It never becomes a problem to me. That's what this verse is talking about. And there's many people that you just wouldn't offend somebody. Well, they're family members. And what would happen if I did something like that? They might take offense. Jesus turned around to Peter. Peter said something that, you know, on the surface looked good. Jesus said, I'm going to be crucified. And Peter said, that be far from you, Lord. No man's ever going to touch you. We'll defend you. And Jesus turned around and said, get behind me, Satan. Those were demonic inspired words. Satan was trying to play on Jesus' humanity. He didn't want to die. He was born to die. He knew that was God's will, but he didn't like it. And for somebody to sit there and say, oh no, you don't have to do this. We'll defend you. You know what? That could have been a temptation to Jesus. And Jesus recognized that that was contrary to what God had told him to do. And he turned around and spoke to the source of that thing. And he wasn't talking to Peter. He was talking to the demonic power speaking through him. And that wasn't politically correct. You know what? That could have offended Peter. I can just imagine that if, you know, if one of my staff came up to me and I turned around and if Jim said something to me and I said, get behind me, Satan, I refuse that. I can guarantee you I'd be criticized. People, how dare you treat Jim that way? That's exactly what Jesus did. That's exactly what he did. He judged it. He condemned it. He didn't let some negative word come out. This isn't going to win you a lot of popularity contests, but it'll keep you well. It'll have you operate in the power of God. I got to quit. Let me give one last example and I'll quit. But you know, many of you aren't going to be blessed by this, but... um, (laughs) And let me say up front that I am not saying this is the way it should have been done. You can use more tact than I have. I am not a perfect example. It amazes me that God uses me. I'm I'm surprised as anybody. But the principle is true and the principle is right. I may not have done things exactly right, but the principle behind what I'm talking about is correct. And my wife and I, uh, when Joshua was just one year old, our oldest son, my mother had, um, uh, what is it, a thyroid problem? And she had taken thyroid pills for 50 something years. And she was trying to believe God for healing. And she was just saying, I can't do it. And I ministered to her one night till two or three o'clock in the morning and told her how to stand and believe God. And, uh, she, took a stand and believed and got off those thyroid pills. It was awesome. 
And so she started acting on the word of God. But then, and she was doing really good. She overcame the flu and she started walking in supernatural power. But then she was going to go visit my aunt. And every time they got together, it was like, so who's sick lately? Who's died lately? Who committed adultery on whom? And it was just gossip is all they did. They talked about all of these things. And I mean, it was death. And I told her, I said, mother, you're going to go down there. And I said, I love my aunt. I said, she's a great lady, but you know what? She's going to speak death and you've taken a stand and Satan is going to use these negative things and you're going to talk sickness and you're going to talk adultery and you're going to talk things and it will counter the faith that you are operating in and, and it's going to hurt you. I said, you need to stand up and counter it. You can be as nice as you want to be. And you can try and do it politely, but you're going to have to stay, take a stand and say, I am not going to sit here and, and curse people and say, well, I know this person's going to die. You're going to have to quit speaking this doubt and unbelief and you're going to have to counter it. And she says, but this is the woman that raised me. I couldn't do that. And I said, well, you got a choice. Are you going to honor God or honor this woman? I said, you can do it as polite as you want to, but you got to stand. Well, she didn't stand. She went down there and, and within two or three days she got sick and we were going on a vacation. And so she was sick and she knew that she was wrong. And so she felt really bad and she was condemned. And as we went on this trip, she was just talking doubt and unbelief. And she was saying, keep, keep Joshua away from me. He'll get sick. He'll catch my cold. And I said, he will not catch your cold in the name of Jesus. I'd take that and condemn it and judge it and say, that's not going to work. Don't put him in front of the air conditioner. He'll catch a cold. I said, he is not going to get a cold. And I mean, she just spoke doubt and unbelief all day long. And every time she'd say it, I'd say, no, that's not going to happen. And finally that night we got into a hotel room. All of us were staying in one room and Joshua was in a little crib And I mean, about 11 or 12 o'clock, he started having this croup breathing and you could have heard him in the next room and he had this cold and he was sick. And so I got up and I'd pray in tongues over him and rebuke this and he'd go back to sleep. I'd lay him down in 30 minutes. He'd have it back and I'd go and pray in tongues and rebuke this. And my mother was listening to this. And finally, after three or four hours of this on my way back to bed, it was pitch dark in there. No, couldn't see anything. I heard my mother just say, Admit it, Andy, he's sick. (laughs) And I got right down in her face and I said, Satan, in the name of Jesus, I break your curse. You will not dominate my son. He is not going to be sick. And I rebuked the devil up one side and down the other. (laughs) And guess what? Joshua slept all night long, never had another symptom and he was over it. And my mother, we were on a vacation for seven days and she never spoke to me the whole time. (laughs) And after six days, I finally said, say something. And she says, I'm sorry. You think I'm the devil. And I explained to her, I said, you know what I was doing. You were just speaking forth your unbelief. And I said, here's the results. My son is well. And I explained it to her and we got over it. And praise God, my mother is one of my best friends. (laughs) But I'm saying, you know what? There's a lot of people that won't do that. And that's the reason that Satan can speak doubt and unbelief over you. And it takes root and it starts having an effect because you know what? You won't stand for the truth that way. 
You wouldn't offend somebody. You want to win all the popularity contest. You you might have many different reasons for being the way that you are, but I'm telling you that the scripture says that you have to condemn words that are contrary to your faith. When a doctor speaks something over you, I guarantee I wouldn't let a doctor tell me I'm going to die without canceling that out and saying, I reject that. I refuse that in the name of Jesus. Some of you would think, who am I to say that? I'm a born again, baptized in the Holy Ghost believer that has greater authority and power than the doctor. I was told by a doctor, I had a serious heart problem and I had to go straight over to another specialist and they were going to put me in the hospital and they might have to do surgery on me before the day was over. And I just looked at him and I said, that's a lie. I rebuked him. (laughs) Some of you think, how can you do that? And I'm well. And I went and had another test done and I'm just as healthy as a horse. There's nothing wrong with my heart. But you know what? Most, <laughs> most people just are too concerned about everybody else. You need to get to where pleasing God and standing on the word of God is more real to you than what your husband, wife, banker, lawyer, somebody else has to say. We're so afraid of being politically incorrect. So afraid of criticism. If criticism would kill you, I'd be dead. I'm telling you, these are awesome things that I've shared with you about the nature of God. He's already done everything. He gave you power and authority. We aren't waiting on God to move. God is waiting on us to take our authority and stand up and release his power and act in authority. If you could understand these things, and again, there's many, many other things I just didn't have time to cover. If you could understand this about the nature of God, it would totally change your relationship. It would make your relationship with God just go through the roof. The word of God would come alive to you. You could begin to start seeing these exact principles I'm talking about in all of the stories that are in the Bible. All of the people who did great exploits, they understand these kind of things. I tell you, it's important. We need to get into the word of God and renew our mind and find out the ways of God. And if you do that, then you will know God in a way that you've never experienced before. And the grace of God will begin to abound in your life in a way that it never has before. Isn't that awesome? It's not up to God whether or not you have victory. He's provided it for every person. He's purchased it. He's done his part. He's seated at the right hand. And now are you going to take it and believe and stand your ground? Or are you going to sit there and just passively beg and cry? And, oh God, I know you can do anything. You have done nothing, but would you please touch me? That's unbelief. You need to stand up. Before you can stand up on the outside, you need to stand up on the inside. Before you get your body well, you need to get your emotions well, your mind well, and start thinking. As you think in your heart, that's the way your life is going. Some of you, your physical body mirrors your thoughts perfectly. And man, you need to change your thoughts. You need to get hold of the truth. You know the truth. The truth will make you free. Isn't that good? Thank you, Jesus. Father, we thank you for this word. We thank you for these truths. And Father, I'm praying that the Holy Spirit would just take these things and enlighten us and help people to get over it. And quit walking in the natural 
and start recognizing who they are, recognizing that you've done your part and quit begging you to do what you said you've already done, that we would stand up and take our authority and use it. Thank you, Jesus. I just believe that you are making this alive on the inside of people. Thank you, Jesus. You know, I know that every person in here could respond to this. I could, I'm responding to my own preaching. I've been encouraged. So every person can receive this, but there are some people in here that you haven't been doing this. It's not like it's just an encouragement for you to get stronger and stand and believe, but there are some of you that this isn't just a a reminder or an encouragement. This would be an about face for you. You've been totally carnal. You've been going only by what you see, taste, hear, smell, and feel. You've been begging God to do what the word says he's already done. You haven't taken your authority. And there's some of you that you're, it's like if that's the direction God wants you to go, you've been going this direction. And today, tonight, you've, you've understood it. It became clear. The Holy Spirit has spoken to you. And you know what? You need to repent. You need to do something. Faith without works is dead is what James chapter two says. You've got to do something. You can't just mental assent, understand it. You need to make a decision. It says in, I think, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12, it says that the Lord is faithful and just to keep that which we commit unto him. No committing, no keeping. And so those of you who this is an about face for you, you recognize I'm way off. Man, I've been begging God to do these things instead of believing that he's done it and taking my authority. If you would be humble enough to say, that's me. And tonight I'm making a commitment that I'm turning. I'm going to start trusting God. I'm going to find out who I am in the spirit. I'm going to start using my mouth and condemn the negative things, quit being carnal and start being spiritual, walking by the word. I'm going to change. I'm going to make an about face. If that's you, and if you're honest enough to admit it, I'd like you just to stand and make this commitment. And I'm going to lead you in a prayer. And I believe this is going to make a huge difference in your life. Again, every person could respond to some degree, but I'm talking about people that you haven't been trying to do this. It's It's not even been on your radar. This is an about face for you. It's a new change. Anyone else? Some of you are thinking, well, I'll just sit down and receive this. I don't have to stand. I don't want everybody to look at me. That's one of the things that you need to change is being so physical oriented, worried about what everybody else thinks about you. God sees your heart and you ought to please him. Don't worry about what people think. Somebody think, well, that would be embarrassing. I want you to get the maximum humiliation out of this, amen? I want you to humble yourself. I want everybody's eyes open and your head up so that you can look around and see everybody who's standing, amen? You need to humble yourself under the mighty hand of God and he'll lift you up. Quit worrying about what everybody else thinks and start putting an importance on what God says, this is great. I think this is going to change your life. I believe some of you, you know, I remember making a decision like this similar in a service 40 something years ago. And I stood and said, in the name of Jesus, I'm not going to be this way anymore. 
and I've never had to recommit it. I've never had to go back. I meant it, and it changed my life. I can look back, and my life began to change from that time forth. And I believe that's going to happen for many of you tonight. I believe that God has spoken a truth to you, and you're making a commitment that God, with your help, as you bring this to my remembrance, I'm going to walk in this. This is going to make a difference. You're going to be able to look to this date, whatever that is, July what? Oh, August. August what? August the 6th, 2011. I got that right, I think. You'll be able to circle this date and say, man, I made a decision and I made a commitment and God has kept me to it. God has kept that commitment. And I think this is going to make a difference in your life. Father, I thank you for all of these who are standing. We are standing and saying, Father, we have not been doing this. We've been going by our own senses. We've been letting what we see, taste, hear, smell, and feel dominate us. We've been carnal. But tonight we want to be spiritual. We believe that you've already done it. That we're already blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. We already have faith. We already have love, joy, and peace. We've already been healed. That you've already done everything through Jesus and you've deposited it on the inside of us. And now we are going to start coming from this victory, walking from victory instead of trying to obtain victory. We're going to start enforcing what you've already done. Father, we make a commitment and we just acknowledge that we need your supernatural help to understand it and to walk it out. And I hold to that scripture that if we commit, you are faithful and just to keep that which we commit. So, Father, we make that commitment and I believe you're going to hold us to it. That you'll remind us of it and that this will be a turning point in these lives. We'll never get over it. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. You agree? Praise the Lord. And let's praise God for that. I believe it's going to make a difference. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord Jesus. You can be seated. This is my last opportunity to ask if there's anybody here that doesn't know Jesus, you need to make Jesus your personal Savior. And if you've already been saved, you must have the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You don't have to have the baptism of the Holy Spirit to go to heaven, but in order to operate in this. The things that I've talked about tonight are beyond human capability because you can't see these things. You have to read it and by faith perceive it. And the Holy Spirit is the one that gives us this revelation. The Holy Spirit is the one that explains this to us. He's the one that imparts knowledge unto us. It says in John 14, 26, but when the Holy Spirit has come, he will, um, uh, how does that go? But when he, the, I'm a, I'll read it if I have to. What does John 14, 26 say, Lord? But when the comforter is come, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send my name, he will teach you all things and lead you into all truth and bring to your remembrance whatsoever I have spoken unto you. 
Man, what a powerful ministry of the Holy Spirit. You have to have this ministry of the Holy Spirit. And it doesn't come just automatically at salvation. The baptism of the Holy Spirit was a separate experience. It includes speaking in tongues. If you don't have that, you need it. And I know that there's many people that disagree with that. There's entire denominations that believe that you just automatically get everything of the Holy Spirit, that the gift of tongues isn't for us today. And you're entitled to your opinion, but I'm not going to agree with you or we'd both be wrong. I'm telling you that that's not what the Word of God teaches. Speaking in tongues, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is where I gain this revelation of these things that I've shared with you. And if you want that, you need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Is there anybody here tonight who would say, I need one or both of those things? I'd like you to pray with me. Anybody in here? If that's you, I want you to raise your hand. Here's somebody's hand back here. Anybody else? Here's another one. Here's another one. And another one. You know, we've already had, I don't know, 130 or more people receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, maybe 20 born again. But praise God. It's wonderful that there's still people here that are ready to receive. If you raised your hand or if you were supposed to raise your hand, would you just get up out of your seat and come forward? We want to pray with you right here and help you to receive. Just come forward right now and let us minister to you. Praise the Lord. Isn't this great? Thank you, Jesus. Praise the Lord. Oh, this is great. This is going to change your life. You're never going to be the same. Praise the Lord. Isn't that great? Hallelujah. You know, this baptism of the Holy Spirit is more important than I can tell any of you. It's the missing ingredient that a lot of people are missing in their life. And God is going to fill you with this Holy Spirit. Revelation knowledge is going to come to you. Power is going to come. Jesus said in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, you receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you'll be my witnesses. This is going to change your life. It's powerful. It's awesome. I believe you're going to be stronger than horseradish. Thank you, Jesus. You'll never be the same. Isn't that a good deal? You know, before you can receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you first of all have to make Jesus your personal Lord. You've got to know beyond any shadow of a doubt that Jesus is your personal Savior and that you've already been born again. Is there anybody up here who's not sure of that? I need to pray with you first and we need to make sure that you're born again. Is there anybody who'd say, that's me, I need to pray first about that? Anybody? Are all of you born again? You want to pray and make sure? Have you ever prayed to make Jesus your Lord? And so you've already done this? No, I want to pray now. You want to pray now? Good. Amen. I believe God's going to grant you salvation. How have you lived this long without knowing Jesus personally? I bet it's been tough. God wants you to be saved. All right. So what we're going to do, I'm going to lead you in a prayer and I'm going to say basically what you need to say according to the word of God. And if you'll repeat those words, it's not just automatic. You repeat it and it works. But if you'll believe the words that you're going to say, then Jesus will come into your heart and you'll be a changed woman. Isn't that good? 
Let me ask everybody in here to pray with us so that she won't feel like we're just listening to her. And I want you to repeat these words after me and mean it in your heart. Will you do that? Say, Father, I'm sorry for my sin. I believe Jesus died to forgive my sin. And I receive that forgiveness. Jesus, I make you my Lord. I believe that you are alive from the dead. That you now live in me. I am saved. I am forgiven. Right now. In the name of Jesus. Amen. You believe that? Do you believe you're born again now? Yes. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that awesome? Yes. You just got born again. Yes. I believe she's excited about it. Yes. Amen. Awesome, awesome. Man, that's a great miracle right there. Thank you, Jesus. Now, according to the word of God, this woman in the spirit just became the temple of the Holy Spirit. First John, uh, first Corinthians three and six say that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. The reason that's important is that this is what God made you. The moment you got born again, this woman is now a temple for the Holy Spirit to dwell in. That means that's what you're created for. So there's no way God's going to fail to give you the Holy Spirit. He's already commanded it. He's already supplied it. And he said that any person, if you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? He's been waiting for this opportunity. So you don't have to beg. We don't have to plead. All you got to do is open up the door to your temple just a little bit. And I guarantee you the power of the Holy Spirit is going to come into you and fill you and it's going to change your life. So we're just going to ask one time. We aren't going to beg. We're just going to give the Lord the freedom. He won't force himself in. You have to invite him in. And we're going to open our heart and welcome the Holy Spirit to come in. And then I'm going to have our prayer ministers come up here. And they're going to stand behind you and lay hands on you. Because in the Bible it says that they laid hands on people and the Holy Spirit came upon them. So we're going to do what it says in the Bible. These people are going to lay hands on you. So you're going to ask. I'll lead you in a prayer. We're going to ask, and then they're going to lay hands on you. And after they lay hands on you, I want you to quit asking for the Holy Spirit. And instead, just believe that his promise is true and that he's going to give you the Holy Spirit. So after they lay hands on, I want you to start thanking God that you've got the Holy Spirit. I don't care what you feel like. It's like what I was preaching tonight. You got to go by faith, not by your feelings. You can't be carnal. You got to take a step of faith and just begin to start thanking him that he gave you the Holy Spirit, regardless of what you feel like. And then those of us that have the baptism of the Holy Spirit and can speak in tongues, we're going to start speaking in tongues because the Bible says, 1 Corinthians 14, 17, that when you pray in tongues, your spirit is praying and you are giving thanks unto God. So we're going to start thanking God with our gift of speaking in tongues. And as we start speaking in tongues, I want you to quit thanking him in English and just switch over and start speaking in tongues. If you don't know what to say, you can try and say what you hear a person behind you say, but your tongue's going to be unique to you. You can't say what they say. I promise you, you can't do it even if you try, but it'll get you talking. 
And it's like, I think I said this tonight too, that the Holy Spirit doesn't force you to speak. He doesn't take your mouth and make it talk. You've got to start making sounds. You can't talk in tongues with your mouth closed. You got to open your mouth and start speaking and just by faith believe that God is inspiring it. It's like I taught tonight. I believe that God spoke through me, but he didn't force me to say what I said. He inspired it, but it came out in my personality, my sense of humor and stuff. And so it was me talking, but under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. That's the way speaking in tongues is. You have to speak and just by faith believe it's the Holy Spirit. And at first it may seem unusual and strange and you'll wonder about it, but I promise you, if you'll continue to do it, the Holy Spirit will show you that this is inspired by him and it releases power. It causes you to be built up spiritually and you'll have it confirmed to you and you'll know that it's the power of God. So that's what we're going to do. Is everybody ready? You ready to do this? The Bible says believers will speak with new tongues. I want you to say, I'm a believer. And I will speak in tongues. Father, I thank you that all of these now are born again. And according to the scripture, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So Father, we just thank you. Thank you for this woman who's born again. Thank you for every one of us being the temple of the Holy Spirit. You created us to fill with your power. So now we open up our heart. And Holy Spirit, we welcome you to come in. We invite you in. We want your power. We want this anointing. Father, we want your presence with us and all of these gifts, the gift of speaking in tongues and everything else. We ask for it right now and invite you in, in Jesus' name. Now we lay hands on you and say, receive the Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus. We loose the power of the Holy Spirit to flow into your lives right now in Jesus' name. Oh, there's the power of God. Thank you, Father, for this power and anointing flowing through every one of these right now in Jesus' name. Thank you, Father. We agree and receive it. Now, I want you to start thanking God. Let's put your hands up. The Bible says to lift up your hands in the sanctuary and bless the Lord. This blesses God. And just start thanking him out loud. Talk out loud. And just say, thank you, Father. I believe that I do have the Holy Spirit. I'm operating in the spirit realm. And thank you that your word is true, that I am filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, those of you that know how to pray in tongues, let's just worship the Lord in tongues. Let's start praising God so that they won't feel self-conscious that somebody's listening. And as we speak in tongues, speak with us. Don't worry about what it sounds like. You know, when a little child starts speaking, it doesn't sound like a real language. It may not really sound like mama or daddy, but that parent knows what that child is trying to say, and they are thrilled. And God is hearing your heart, and he's pleased with you. You're bypassing your brain. You're bypassing doubt and unbelief that's in your mind. And you're speaking out of your spirit. And it's powerful. It's powerful. Take your mind off of you and off of yourself and just go to worshiping God and let these words flow out of you right now. Don't worry about what it sounds like. Thank you, Father. 
Thank you, Jesus. Kora satalomo, kora lidi bira malolom brasita laviko arosolom bamrontebe. You can't talk in tongues with your mouth closed. You gotta open your mouth and talk. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Ira hasolomo kora da mebrontebe. Deka prostoro vo kora le ni miana mabrendi ki. Dia protola mabrendi ki kena mo kuro solom and there's the power of God. Thank you, Jesus. Brother, I hear the Lord say to you that you, like we were reading in Jeremiah chapter 9, have accomplished a lot of good things and you have taken glory in some of your accomplishments, but the Lord has just touched you in such a way you're going to become so thrilled, so in love with God that you'll be like Jeremiah 9, 24. The only thing you're going to glory in is the fact that you understand and know God. I believe God has captured your heart. And brother, you are going to fall in love with God more than you ever have in your life. It's awesome. Father, I release this now in the mighty name of Jesus. Thank you, Father, for all of these receiving the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Let me interrupt you for here just for just a moment. You know, it's important that you understand what's happened to you. And I can promise you that what has happened when you invited the Holy Spirit in is more important and bigger than what any of you understand right now. There's no way you can understand how powerful this is and what, what a difference this is going to make in your life. And, but I've written a book on this that will help you to understand. And for you to get the full benefit of it, you've got to know what happened. Also, if there's anybody here who did not pray in tongues right now, that doesn't mean that God didn't give you the Holy Spirit. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is like a pair of tennis shoes. They all come with tongues. Amen. Every one of you have this gift. You may not have used it right now. I'm not speaking in tongues, but I've got it. You can have the gift of the Holy Spirit and the gift of speaking in tongues without speaking in tongues. And if you were messed up, like I was a, I was a Baptist. And when I first prayed for the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I was so afraid that I was going to get something from the devil. That's what I'd been taught, that it kept me from speaking in tongues. It was three years before I spoke in tongues after I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But I finally got my questions answered. And I wrote it all in a book. And, and I'd really like to give this to every one of you so that you understand fully what happened. If you didn't pray in tongues, it'll help you to understand and to pray in tongues. And I just want every one of you, if you would, to please receive this book. And Robert, right here in the center aisle, the man with his Bible up, is going to take you to a room and give you a free book. And if you have any questions, they'll answer your questions. So if you would, just go with Robert. And he's going to give that to you. And we're going to help you all we can. Thank the Lord. God bless you. Awesome. God bless you. Thanks for coming. Isn't that great? We probably had 150 people receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit in the last three days. Praise the Lord. Praise God. tell you, brothers and sisters, I believe that, you know, I've got a lot of teaching out there, but I just did a kind of a scatter shot. I incorporated uh, 30 teachings 
into five times. And um, I think that there is a lot of benefit to this teaching that I've done. You know, we've got CDs and DVDs already duplicated out there of all five services. And I think that this is a keeper. This is the kind of thing that it, I can guarantee you, I put out more than what you could get in one time. And it would be beneficial to you to get these CDs or DVDs and go back over it because you'll pick up something new that you didn't get before. So remember to get those on your way out. These are our prayer ministers here. And these are people that are, they understand the principles we've talked about. They aren't going to just pray and beg God and wait to see what God can do. They're going to take their authority as a believer and speak. And if some of these things I said were new to you and you didn't uh, pray this way before, it may, you may need some guidance, somebody to help you to pray. So you can come up here and they will pray with you and they will speak in authority over what Jesus has already done. And we're going to see miracles happen. So if you would like prayer for anything, I'd like to invite you to come forward right now. We've got people standing at the aisles that are going to direct you towards a prayer minister so that everybody just won't uh, bunch up on one side. But if you want prayer for anything, this is your opportunity. I encourage you to come right now. Let one of our prayer ministers pray for you. The rest of you, I am going to be at, uh, I think it's called Christian Life Center in Tenley Park tomorrow. And I'll be there ministering three times in the morning. And then we have this promotional banquet with our Bible colleges in this area tomorrow night. And you could go out to that table. And I think they still have some spots where you could register and come to this banquet at 530 tomorrow evening. So please take advantage of those things. God bless you. Thanks for coming. You're dismissed. If you want prayer, come forward and let someone agree and pray with you. Praise the Lord. And I'm going to go ahead and let you go tonight because uh, we need to get through as quickly as possible so that my staff can begin to start taking down all of the equipment. They'll be here until after midnight doing that and we'll give them a little head start. Amen. Thanks for coming. God bless you. Amen.